This is Full Throttle, the Presidio Group's automotive industry podcast. I'm your host, Jason Stein, Presidio's managing director and host of Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. On a monthly basis, Full Throttle serves as the industry's meeting point for great conversations with leaders across the automotive world. The, the big mega trends that I would see, and I think we all see, is where things go with powertrains from ICE to EV. If that was the only trend, that in and of itself is once in a century shift that's taking place. Obviously, you're seeing that in a very big way in China, drew it back to my uh, time there a few weeks ago and just the preponderance of EVs and notably EV brands that nobody in the U.S. has ever heard of yet all over the streets there and increasingly around the world. There are few in the automotive retail market with the expertise of Mark McClarty. His international experience includes a two-decade run that gave him exposure to South America and Asia, and a wealth of experience that most in North America will never have in their careers. Following that, his return to America included the task of building McClarty into a retail giant in less than a decade, positioning the family business as a force in the dealer world. He has a measured approach with a continued goal of building the auto retailer into a shining example of success all the while flying under the radar. Mark McClarty prefers working in the background, quietly shaping the group into a force of nature. He's done exactly that, and all the way mirroring the American footprint in Brazil and keeping his relationships in China and Japan incredibly strong with an international presence that gets the attention of automakers around the world. Today on Full Throttle, we take a walk through his history as well as his future. Mark shares his perspective on the retail world, as well as geopolitical pressures that are forcing some decisions in this market and others, as he keeps his business on track for greater success. He talks growth, leadership, and even some fun moments with the Presidio Group and its executive team. In a rare interview, Mark McClarty on Full Throttle, the industry's podcast. Hi, I'm Mark McClarty, and very glad to be here on Presidio's Full Throttle. Welcome in to a guy who I first met when he had moved back from Asia, and he was a little like me at times when I moved back from Europe, a little um, little starstruck with the expat experience because moving back to North America does change you a little bit, doesn't it, Mark? But thank you for being on the program, and I know that, um, that, that you are definitely uh, fully acclimated into this environment now, although you've just returned from Asia Pacific. That's right, Jason. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed our, can still remember very distinctly our conversation about the expat experience, and indeed it was an adjustment moving back, and a lot's changed over in Asia since then, as you well know, uh, and that was very evident during this last trip over month before last uh, coming through COVID. What were you doing there now? was over there to meet uh, several things. I was in Japan with uh, some of the Japanese OEMs, uh, as well as in China, and going back and visiting a lot of the Chinese OEMs that I've known a long time, have worked with, but in China, who are now pushing out globally. So tell me how much life has changed. Well, let's back up. For those who don't know on this program, how long were you away from the United States? Almost 20 years. So uh, roughly uh, even decade in Brazil and China, um, and also had a lot of activity, but never lived full-time in Mexico. 
and all with automotive retail and wholesale distribution. How did that change you? That uh, it's probably too early to say uh, at this point. Uh, would need. Um, I think it'll change. It's changed the course of my life and career, of course, in ways I never could have imagined. I, I think it it changed one in giving a broader perspective of how different our industry is in different markets. I think there's an assumption that car dealerships, auto retail, is the same everywhere you go, and it's not in so many ways. It obviously gave me a greater appreciation of cultures in a very different way. If you just take a business trip somewhere for a week and come back and stay in a bit of a bubble uh, with the group and you know one's language and culture while there, it was a full immersion uh, experience. And I think quite different uh, with auto retail, which is such a local business, right, Jason? In the yeah, OEMs and consultants, bankers go to these markets and are generally in an office environment that is still English-based, uh, predominantly an international, you know, more of kind of Anglo-sphere type of culture, perhaps, or whatever the multinational is. And for me, it was just total immersion, uh, where both in Brazil and China, I was the only uh, non-native speaker, only only non-Brazilian or Chinese in the entire organization with thousands of people. Uh, the day-to-day -day was almost all conducted in Portuguese or Chinese. Um, and so I think that aspect of it is quite different from what a lot of people imagine of a stint abroad, uh, given that auto retail is such a deeply local business. And when you it, returned, what aspects of what you had learned did you bring back to the auto retail market in North America? In other words, how did it shape your um, your your future and, and maybe what you tried to apply to the business back when I first met you? Well, it's a good question. I think first and foremost, it gave me an appreciation for so many things uh, in America in a way that I never would have uh, appreciated or would have maybe taken much more for granted had I not been abroad for so long. You know, the US is certainly, like anywhere, has its problems, not perfect. But you know, particularly nowadays, you, you hear a lot of concerns and everywhere around the world has its challenges coming through the pandemic and uh, the economy and so forth. But it really gave me a, a greater appreciation for what a, not only what a great country the United States is, uh, and how blessed the United States is in so many ways, but also how good auto retail is in the U.S. compared to many other places. And the legacy and history of auto retail here versus other international markets like China, where privately owned dealerships are still a relatively new phenomena. When I got there, that was just starting to take place of state-owned uh, dealerships becoming privatized, hard to believe given how far China's come, but that was only 20 years ago. And um, obviously you had dynamics with the state in China that were quite intrusive. Uh, not just me, but businesses in general. We've all seen that in the headlines a lot. Uh, and in Brazil, you know, it's very different trying to operate car dealerships when your floor plan is 20% plus interest rates. You know, everybody's freaking out right now about our rates here, but 
I kind of joke with the team, like, try going to Brazil. We've, <laughs> we still got it. <laughs> you don't know anything about We've still got it pretty good and also went through a lot of economic cycles down there that were much more uh, severe, real shocks. Uh, we've seen, obviously, a shock in the U.S. a couple of times as well. But uh, Brazil, it's more kind of in dog years, very compressed and big swings in the economy there. So, all the, you know, those are just a few thoughts in response to your question, Jason. But uh, the, the compare and contrast, having been outside and coming back and realizing how good we have it here in many ways that we probably should take more time to appreciate is uh, the, the single biggest lesson, I think. So compare and contrast what you saw now on one of your latest trips, which is, I think, was the first time you'd really had an extended period of time back there since COVID, right? That's right. And as you well know, I mean, basically people weren't, foreigners were not uh, granted access or visas to China throughout um, most of the pandemic. Um, I, I think even Jim Farley or Mary Barra only got there for the first time a month or two before I did. And that's with multi-billion dollar investments of Ford and GM in China. So it, you know, it's been very tough to get back to China. Um, it was wonderful to be back. Uh, I have a lot of great friends there, wonderful memories, tremendous respect for uh, the country, the culture, the history. And wow, seeing where the OEMs in China have come over these past years, and even where I left off pre-COVID to now, and uh, with EVs and the quality of design and product and technology, was very eye-opening. It always struck me, whether it was a trip to a Shanghai or a Beijing auto show, every time that I returned to China on an annual basis, it seemed that, um, you mentioned dog years with Brazil, it seemed they went forward dog years within one year. The level of advancement, the level of technology, the level of sophistication. We st are you still seeing that? Yes, I, I think there is a there's a sense of it. There's been a sense of a shot clock in China for a long time to catch up with uh, technology standards and and wealth disparity uh, with the U.S. and other parts of the world. But I think if anything that uh, sense of urgency has accelerated in many ways over these past few years. So tell me what you're doing now. Where's your focus now? So I, I returned to the U.S. Uh, around 2014, um, primarily to be closer to family and particularly uh, the older generation that was in their 90s at that time and had missed a lot of time with family during the 20 years abroad. I, mean, I never expected, I should say, to be abroad for 20 years. You know, the right. thought was go to Brazil, found a business, be able to you know, have it up and running and go back and forth uh, several years out and same in China. But the fact is it does not work out that way. You know, an emerging market like Cortez in Mexico, you know, where you burn the boats at the beach. I mean, it's all in mm -hmm. and very intensive um, operating in emerging market. And so the main focus was coming back and being, having time with family towards that tail end of the older generation's lifespan. And that was wonderful and very meaningful, uh, including getting a, some very good uh, audio uh, histories with my grandmother uh, in her 90s. But then somehow 
I started buying dealerships and, uh, <laughs> and acquiring uh, dealerships and building a group here. It was without a grand vision, perhaps at the beginning, just you know, starting step by step. But then the vision began to crystallize into building a regional dealership group, which is uh, called McClarty Automotive Group and based out of Little Rock, Arkansas, which is our family's hometown, as you know. Um, and surrounding states. And that morphed over time into actually buying back dealerships that my father and his partners had sold in the 90s to Asbury and um, a lot of great relationships with the Asbury team and David Holt and I would mention George Corollis and a lot of the, the old folks from going back 20 years. Sure. Um, but the business really developed with some of those acquisitions, both from uh, privately held family businesses that were selling, as well as public divestitures, uh, and at the same time maintain the business links with China, Brazil, and Mexico as well. So where are we today? Would Give us a, a little bit of the lay of the land of the McClarty Automotive Group. So McClarty Automotive Group has, has grown from zero, obviously, in 2014 to one of the top 20 dealer groups in the country. Hard to believe, but congratulations! Uh, oh, thank you. A, a lot, a lot has taken place over the last seven or eight years. Wonderful team. Uh, we're at a point now of when we buy new stores or do add points, almost exclusively internal promotion of several thousand team members, and being able to uh, give people further opportunities to grow and expand within our organization, which is obviously very different from where we started out. Um, revenues two billion plus, and a diversity of excellent brands that we're very proud to to represent in our our respective markets. Well, easier to do business here now, right, than burning boats and beaches in Brazil. It's it's nice to be able to do a meeting in English. I have to admit, yes, it takes uh, yes. <laughs> it takes a, a a little less brain power being able to focus on what you're saying rather than making sure you're saying it with the proper conjugations. So let's talk about what you're seeing in the market. Some trends, given that you're in the mix and you've you've watched what we all have watched over the course of the last year or two and the phenomena of what we would say, you know, COVID or post COVID. Well, that's uh, that's a good question. It's a tough one, as you know, because there have been so many trends uh, shifting uh, at the same time. I mean, the, the big mega trends that I would see and I think we all see is where things go with powertrains from ICE to EV. If that was the only trend, that in and of itself is once in a century shift that's taking place. Obviously, you're seeing that in a very big way in China, drew it back to my uh, time there a few weeks ago and just the preponderance of EVs and notably EV brands that nobody in the U.S. has ever heard of yet all over the streets there and increasingly around the world. We've got the question of how do we kind of fed the economy, what comes next with a lot of debate right now about soft landing, hard landing, recession, Personally, I'm taking a pretty conservative approach because um, I think you have smart people with very different views on that trend and, and where we go with the next economic cycle. And the understanding that this economic cycle is pretty different from what we've ever seen, given 
It's against the backdrop of the pandemic, disconnection in the labor markets, and Fed stimulus that's really unprecedented outside of the period of World War when you look at it as a percent of GDP. So, um, yeah, I could go on, but those are some of the big trends that uh, I see. And again, the, the fact they're all happening at once uh, is quite notable. I think it, it merits uh, a, a higher degree of humility than usual. That, um, if anything, these last years have taught us all to have uh, a lot of respect for the unexpected and not having a crystal ball. Right? It almost sounds like an emerging market. It um, maybe the emerging market experience will be something that uh, is beneficial in that regard, you know, given that we're in somewhat uncharted territory in some ways. Yeah, the mix of in, of of rates and changing circumstances and relative to where this this market in North America has been over the course of the last you know number of decades is relatively consistent. Right. This is very inconsistent. That's perfect. That. Yeah, perfectly said, and could not agree more. I, I think it is, it's it's potentially um, a bit of a paradigm shift, and I, I think it's hard to recognize big changes, stair step changes, or paradigm shifts when one has had a fairly status quo environment for many decades before. Right. So how point. do you, how do you manage around that? Uh, well, a couple things. Day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> take, take it a day at a time. First of all, don't right. don't get too smart and start trying to think I have some unique insight in where what the arc of all this is three to five years out. So acquisitions have been quite conservative, steady, and growing, and continuing to acquire and do add points, but not betting the farm thinking that this all uh, continues uh, in perpetuity or there's a new normal of much higher profitabilities for longer, um, but also not to hunker down too much and be overly defensive, but just conservative and steady uh, in terms of growth. Really focused on the team uh, throughout this period. We did no furloughs or layoffs, maintained the entire team and have continued to support um, really industry leading health benefits, uh, more training, support. We've not used the uh, auto term. We've not jacked with or changed pay plans and really try to support our team and maintain the organization and grow it throughout this period. And that, as you well know, is is really the key. Um, and to build a conservative balance sheet. We've effectively taken out all the debt from our balance sheet, fully equitized the balance sheet through this period. So, you know, the outsized profitability during COVID rather than develop new hobbies or or do, do things um, outside of the business have concentrated 100% of that outsized profit in the business to grow the business facilities and, and particularly, as I noted, to uh, equitize the balance sheet. Uh, and to make sure that we own as much of our property and have site control. Now at 85% of the locations where we operate, we have site control and the mortgages are fixed rate mortgages, hearkening back to pre-COVID and right, we fixed those at just above 2% back in the day. Yeah, brilliant. And so I've tried to just, you know, come what may and, you know, with the changes and different 
questions that are out there right now in the industry, the economy, uh, to be positioned well for whatever comes next. You in the market to um, continue to expand? I mean, you just alluded to it a, a moment ago, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we actually just closed uh, on two additional stores um, over the last few months and are actively working as always on uh, several other acquisitions and ad points right now, both here and in Brazil, uh, where uh, we opened up two new Toyota ad points in Sao Paulo earlier this year, and we're just awarded a uh, BYD, China OEM franchise is one of their first ones in Brazil as part of their market entry there. How many dealerships do you have now in South America? It's uh, about the same in both markets, approximately 30, depending on how you count the rooftops and breakout Stellantis and so forth. So you're still splitting your time between the two continents then? I, I do, and, and, and Asia, but um, the reality is with 20 years of operating experience in Brazil and having worked day in, day out with the team there, one of the really magical things in this business is when you develop that level of trust and, and really strong relationships. And we've been through a lot down there, as I noted, and there's a lot more, you know, if we had time that we've, we've uh, kind of trial by fire as a team. So it's a very stable, committed, strong team there. We do video conferences weekly um, and miss spending more time in Brazil. But, um, you know, that's that's how we've operated throughout COVID. And it's quite telling throughout COVID and when travel was restricted. We operated and performed very well in Brazil, even remotely, thousands of miles away with weekly video conferences and anything in between that we needed to as the situation required it. We know your father, I know your father so well, um, and I I know that he, he's um, extremely interested in how the business is operating, always has been. Does your phone sometimes ring and, and is there maybe some parental advice on the other end of the line, or does he just kind of let you do your own thing? More the latter, I would say. I mean, we talked this morning during the commute and talk every day. Um, But I think particularly for the international side, I mean, there's naturally interest in those markets, I think for him and so many people, just because they are so different. So people are curious. You know, dad was very supportive, came to Brazil a couple of times when I was living and working down there, came over to China once or twice as well. Uh, So he has firsthand knowledge of those markets as well as through his other travels unrelated to auto. Um, But it's, he knows a lot of the people, particularly in Brazil and has met them and knows what a a great group it is of people and everything we've been through. So we always enjoy, I always enjoy being able to give him uh, positive updates and news about what's going on, either when I come back from China and some of the changes there, or more the day-to-day in Brazil and some of the successes that the team's having there. It's always good to focus on the positive when you give a report to your father, too, I'm sure. Anyone's uh, father. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, it sounds like you've learned that lesson early, as did I. <laughs> I have, I have. A couple of fun things to close out. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, but I know that your relationship with uh, George Carolis, uh, president of uh, Presidio Group, goes back to the to the mid-90s, right? Uh, and and all the things that you've done since since then together. Tell me a little bit about your experiences with him. Well, George and I first met, if I recall, it's going pretty far back in the ether now, as you noted, 
Uh, but in the 90s, when George was leading the due diligence team uh, on behalf of Asbury acquiring uh, the quote unquote family dealerships were owned by my father and his partners at that time uh, in Arkansas. And so that was our first, we, we worked together fairly intensively during that short period. And then of course, always kept in good touch and the relationship developed from there. Thank the world of George, uh, wonderful guy. And, and was so glad when you all linked up in your partnership together with Brody and with such a great crew at Presidio. Um, so we, we've been through no, a number of chapters together, including his uh, move from Asbury after many years there to uh, work and help to develop the Presidio business as well. And it's that we both had a good laugh, you know, about the way things come around full circle in such unexpected ways. I mean, who would have thought here over 20 years later that I would be coming back from 20 years internationally right. and reacquiring the same dealerships that had been owned by previous generation of the family and partners from Asbury that George had been involved in uh, purchasing back in the mid nineties. It's uh, and that there's been real beauty to that, as you might imagine. And um, for me personally, being able to to do that after all these years and uh, being able to continue to work with George, albeit in different capacities nowadays, it's just one of life's great pleasures in, in ways that we never could have imagined when we first crossed paths. It's probably a Chinese proverb, Mark, that life comes full circle. I'm sure <laughs> it's said in a different language. <laughs> Jason, one thing, one thing I've learned from all the years in China, everything is a Chinese proverb. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, and uh, speaking of your father, he also, um, uh, there was the excellent opportunity of him presenting, uh, introducing uh, President Bush at the Presidio Conference a few years ago. Right. And and I know uh, just did a, a, a phenomenal job at that, uh, to no one's surprise. Well, he enjoyed that very much. I enjoyed being there and particularly coming through the pandemic. That was one of the right early events, right, that we were all able to get back together in such a large group uh, and be together after uh, being kind of hunkered down a bit during the pandemic. So, yeah, he, he enjoyed that very much and really, as you well know, treasures relationships and has had a relationship uh, with the Bush family going back to the previous generation as well. And when he was a young man, so I think there was particular meaning in that day for him as well. Wonderful. What a pleasure to catch up with you again. Uh, please uh, give our best to your family. And uh, we look forward to seeing all of the growth opportunities that are in front of you. That's a well, Chinese proverb as well. <laughs> we'll look it up. Jason, thanks so much. It's great to be with you and really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Mark McClarty, and thanks for listening to Full Throttle. Come back to us later in the month for our next interview on this platform. Suggestions? Email me at jstein at thepresidiogroup.com. And to learn more about the Presidio Group, go to thepresidiogroup.com or follow us on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening.